Hi. And welcome to a very legit episode of Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. This is the most legit episode because our good friend and very talented editor, Eric Foster, was like, hey, enough of all your background noise and your annoying crap that happens during your podcast recording. I'm buying you guys microphone stands. We are hands free. Hands free. They just are in front of us. Woo! The microphone is dangling in front of our little lips. Mm-hmm. And here we are. Do we sound better? Ooh. I don't know. He's probably going to be like, all right, well, now you guys moved around too much because you weren't <laughs> holding anything at all. So, so just shuffle, shuffle, I shuffle, shouldn't shuffle. jazzercise while recording. <laughs> we did a whole TikTok routine <laughs> the whole way through. I will say... So we are recording on the Lord's Day. He has risen. It is Easter. You know, we're in quarantine and Nick and I recently got engaged. And as a gift, many people have given us champagne, which is great and wonderful. I'm slightly allergic slash highly allergic. So my face is very red right now, Corinne. We were like, let's have a nice Easter brunch today. So we like made a bunch of food. I made like sweet potato, gluten-free, dairy-free pancakes and a frittata. And Nick made a really, really dangerous hash brown mix with like all the cheese and dairy you could ever ask for. So basically like just completely X'd out my healthy food. To counteract the pancakes, you had to really go all in on another dish. All in. Thank God for quarantine because no one has to be around me right now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) TMI, it's two girls, one ghost, whatever. No, I mean, just do it all while we're in quarantine. I am doing it all. I'm letting it all out. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, we were like, let's open some of the champagne and some of the champagne turned into, oh, we finished a bottle. And so I texted Corinne at like two... 2.15 2.15 and I was like hey any chance we could do 3.30 because I had to go on a walk I had to walk it off I was like why, why can't you make it you're just at home <laughs> I walked it off I feel better now but um Good. I'm not necessarily drunk but if anything if I do say anything that's not typical me let's blame it on that well you know Jesus used to turn water into wine and he so. he did that with champagne, champagne. that far off <laughs> There's no rules now. It's kind of like, it's two o'clock. Should I just open a bottle of wine? Yes. Do whatever you want. You know, if you're still a little tipsy after we record, you should watch. I tuned in to the live YouTube stream of Andrea Pacelli, who is a blind opera singer. Love him. Sabrina, I should have told, I did tell you. I texted in our girl group that he had a a live concert. Oh yeah, I did see that. Oh my gosh. Damn, I missed it. So moving. Okay. Well, sorry, Corinne, I gotta go. Just kidding. (laughs) <laughs> gotta get another another drink and some bocelli bocelli oh he's so great that was like my childhood my mom would always put bocelli on whenever we were cooking in the kitchen really that was oh, our thing sounds so lovely which is also why i'm so poor with music now because my my childhood was filled with andrew bocelli and like music similar to that and it wasn't so now when nick plays trivia with me and challenges me and he's like who's singing this like, i don't know you know who you need? You need my mom. For some reason, she knows every song, every singer, basically the date that the wow. song came out. That's how Nick All is too. The like 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. She knows everything. Early 2000s. She knows, she knows like up to today. That's amazing. See, I don't have that. I'm such a visual person. So auditory, I, I'm not good at auditory, which is funny because we record a podcast and make a podcast, which is all <laughs> auditory. But I feel like even in school, I was such a visual learner. And now like if I see something, I can associate it with what it belongs to, but I'm not as good at hearing something and knowing. 
even with quotes, like someone will like say a quote from a movie and I'm like, uh, I don't know. That's so funny. I'm the exact same way. And I actually just had this conversation with my manager the other day. He likes to talk through things. And I was like, can you start writing some of this down? Because <laughs> I forget. <laughs> I'm not good at understanding exactly what you mean unless it's written down for me to like take in visually and commit to memory. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look at us. Another Speaking thing we have in common. I know. <laughs> We're just two girls. And one ghost. <laughs> Speaking of work and speaking of ghosts. Yes. I'm quarantined in Vermont, which I don't have to tell anyone who's listened to this podcast before is where all the ghosts live. All of them. So (laughs) one thing that's been happening is that a couple of my coworkers have pointed out that they keep seeing stuff behind (gasps) me. No way. Yeah. And the first person who pointed it out was like thinking that it was a ghost and was like, I keep seeing a white light flash by. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, it must just be, I don't know, like this is a sunny room. Maybe it's a car going by. Like, I totally dismissed it. Mm -hmm. But like that particular room, the only activity that's ever happened in this room in my house is that my dog has been present and like left the claw marks. If you ever listened to our Pet cemetery episode, you'll know about the things he did in that room. Yes, wrinkles. And then these like white lights, like kind of like orbs going by. And oh. so when my first coworker told me that, I was like, no, no, it's not that. Cause I was totally scared. And also it was like 10 a.m. So I was like, no, no, it's not that. Uh-huh. And then one of my other coworkers was like, oh, he interrupted the call and he goes, Corinne, I keep trying to capture it on your video, but I keep missing it. My gosh. But I think the ladybugs, cause like I have been complaining that there are ladybugs in my house. It was the the ladybugs keep going behind you, and they're like these big white like flashes that go by. Oh my god! The camera's having a hard time picking them up, and I was thinking, my shitty ass computer camera is not picking up a tiny pinpoint ladybug behind my head, turning it into a big white orb and having it float by. It could be in front of my face, and the camera probably wouldn't pick up the ladybug. So I was like, oh, interesting. Yeah, please uh, try to capture that. He was like, it keeps happening. Oh, wow. So all my coworkers are seeing ghosts behind me. Which is crazy because I have not seen them. So they're putting on a show for your coworkers. They really are. And it's in that one particular room. I think that they're just like having fun darting back and forth. Should you relocate? Well, I don't want to because I have seasonal affective disorder and I get really sad easily. And I want to work right by the window so I get a little bit of sunlight. Okay, well, you can stay where you are. But yeah, we've been hearing stuff. We all heard the other night, or not we all, it was just me. Um, (laughs) We all collectively me. (laughs) The many versions of me. Everyone who stayed in my house for prolonged periods of time has all heard this in some time in the past, like during their stay here. But I reheard it again the other night. Downstairs, once all of us had come up, within like five minutes of getting into bed, I heard... Someone moving around, shuffling things around downstairs and chatter, like hushed voices in a conversation downstairs. And no, it was not my parents. We have an alarm system. We already set the alarm. No one had gone downstairs. I literally just got into bed and that started happening. Okay. Maybe this is too paranormal activity and maybe you need to wait until you're not home anymore, but I really want you to set up either a video camera or just a recorder of some kind in your house, in that room. I know. Well, my mom and I were talking about that the other day because we were just talking about cryptids and how she was like, I, it's so crazy to think that like we haven't captured that many like videos or photos of, you know, if Bigfoot exists, like 
why don't we have more? Yeah. And I was like, mom, we have been living in this house for 20 years. We see stuff almost every day and we have never captured any footage or proof or anything beyond like the claw marks that my dog had left after he passed away. But like that was after the fact that wasn't like a live stream, like footage of the claw marks. Appearing. Right. Like it was, it could have, you know, to any regular person, if they didn't trust me or know me. They would be like, oh, well, that's an old photo or anyone could have done that. Or, you you know, whatever. have a good point. Yeah. So, I mean, we could, we could like get nest cameras or something and set it up, but I think we'd all be really scared because we see enough as is. Yeah, I agree. And then yesterday, it just keeps going on. So much has happened. Yesterday, as we were getting ready to leave our big like TV family room and go upstairs for bed, I turn from the couch and then I see someone walk <gasps> from... The hallway like into the kitchen and I was just like oh I just saw someone and my mom was like oh <laughs> that was it we just I, on. okay I love it so much because it's just such a normal part of your life with your family but it's super unsettling too I know because like the person walked from the hallway into the kitchen and then 20 seconds later I walk into the kitchen to like fill up a water glass <laughs> like like there's nothing there but yeah and then we were thinking that we might need to do some cleansing because my mom, myself, and my dad have all been for like the past three weeks waking up, all waking up for absolutely no reason between three o'clock and three thirty a.m. Like not to pee for no reason. We just come become awake and are just like, oh shit! Like always look at the time and are like, oh this sucks. Oh. But every single night it happened for weeks, and then two days ago, my mom started saying good night, ghosts, <laughs> as we go up for bed, and I started to participate with her and. For the past two nights, none of us has, have woken up. So as soon as we started to actually acknowledge them and be like, good night, see you in the morning time, they have left us alone. Wow. And now we, today we started, good morning, ghosts. You're going to be stern with the ghosts. Good yeah, night. They just want a little bit of acknowledgement in this quarantine. They're like, you know, we are suffering here too. You are around entirely too much and it's new and it disturbs our routines. I love it. So, okay. Cause we've talked about so many times about how your house is a new build. You guys built it. So it's not like it's not based on the history of your house, but maybe it's based on the history of the land. I don't know. But like your ghosts don't really seem to have rhyme or reason. You just have all these ghosts, which is like, aside from your family's energy, why do these ghosts come? Are they the same ghosts? Do they just stick around? Are they ancestors of yours? Is it, I have so many questions. We have <laughs> not a clue. We have no idea because at first we thought, well, we never really knew why, because we also know the family that owned the land for generations and generations before they sold it to like their local family, right. and it was their farmland. And they sold it to the developer who then built our house, whatever. We have no idea. And like, we thought maybe that wrinkles when he passed away, that he kicked out all the ghosts because it was really quiet for like a few months right. after he passed away, besides like the activity he was creating. Recently, I told you, I think that we were like, oh, well, maybe, maybe the ghosts were actually belonging to wrinkles. Maybe they were just here because they loved him. Mm -hmm. And then like, maybe it was like his traveling souls just waiting for him to cross over again. But I don't know. Activity has really picked up recently. I think you might be bringing them. Yeah. I think we just create, I don't know, an open space. And I think honestly, the more that we recognize and acknowledge them, well, actually that's reverse of what I just said. So I was going to say, I feel like the more we recognize them, the more happens. But two days ago, as soon as we started acknowledging them, they did 
they were less disruptive throughout the night. It's so interesting. You know how they say like, there are certain places in the world that are portals. I think there are certain people in the world that are portals. And I think you might be one of them. You know what? (laughs) My parents, though, have lived in haunted places their whole lives before me. So it's your parents then. And they passed it down to you. And now you're in the... And then they just had a little demon child, me, who came out and was like, you can call me Damien. You've heard about the Bermuda Triangle, but have you heard about the VN quadruple? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) The VN family household in Vermont. Real messed up. Wherever they go, the ghosts come too. Yeah. Ugh, my apartment now I don't think has anything going on, so. That's good news. At least there's that in Boston. Yep. I don't have anything, which is nice. That is nice because you just moved into a new place recently, so that was a big risk you took. It was a big risk. And this is an older building, too, because that has been given a uh, facelift to make it look newer. I need to send you. I've been saving on TikTok since, yes, <laughs> I am a millennial who did decide to download TikTok finally. And I am a millennial who still does not understand TikTok. I don't know what anything means. However, there are a few really good like paranormal TikToks and I just don't know how to make the TikTok go on Instagram, but I'm, I think I'm going to like screen record the TikToks as I watch them and then put them on our Instagram stories. You can share the link, I think. Well, I did. I clicked on like share my story on Instagram and then it cut off like halfway through. Oh, oh. So I don't know. I'll figure it out. But I want to share it with you and everyone else. I put a lot of hours into curating and finding these paranormal TikToks. That's the biggest thing about TikTok. It takes so long. It does. Don't do it. I won't. It sucks you in and it never throws you out because you're just in it. It's like a cult. I won't do it. I'd rather watch Love Island. Yeah, do do that. That's better. (laughs) The like 80 episodes a season that they have. All right. This is the episode we've been waiting for for years. And I know that I'm supposed to go first, Corinne, but I think it would be so rude to myself and to our listeners to not have you go first because you have teased us for what feels like a lifetime for myself, truly. It's been a few weeks. <laughs> it's been like three weeks since I went to Charleston and I was like, I have to tell the world. And so we shifted around some planned episodes so that we could have this category so that I could talk about this one place in Charleston. And your whole trip in general, like just get started. Okay. Well, first of all, the trip to Charleston was amazing, mostly because everything in Charleston is haunted. So you go to brunch and suddenly they're like, oh yes, this place is haunted by a dog named Pugan. And you're like, what? This is so wild. There's a million haunted places. Everywhere you walk is a haunted place or this used to be a jail or this used to be this or that. Like it's so almost reminiscent of like New Orleans or Savannah, Ugh, Georgia. Or love like it. Those types of places that everything was something and it's so old and it's so haunted and it's so historic and everyone has really embraced that. Ugh, so and so cool. I just loved it. Shrimp and grits learned. I love that too. <laughs> just amazing. So I had a great time. Also, one more thing. Marissa and I went one day, we went over to Boone Hall Plantation, which is an old plantation that used to have slaves who worked in like concrete and cotton and all of these different crops and trades. And Mm -hmm. number one was a very beautiful property, like just absolutely gorgeous. And then it was also great because oftentimes when you go to these places, sometimes they don't give an accurate depiction of slavery. Right. But they did a lot to 
they actually had like descendants of the slaves working on the property, like talking all about Whoa. life on the property and all the hardships that people went through and what their culture was like and how they would escape and signal to people different messages on the property. It was just really, really fascinating. And the woman that gave the performance, it was like her great grandmother or something had been uh, a slave on the property. She was just unbelievable. And I was like, oh my God, I could watch this woman for hours. <laughs> she was so cool. Anyway, that's just a recommendation. But if you go to Charleston, the number one thing you have to do, or else I'm mad at you, <laughs> is you have to go to the number one most haunted place in Charleston, South Carolina, and that is the Old City Jail. Woo! And that is exactly where Marissa and I decided to go. Oh my gosh, so fun. And this is our topic for the week, is haunted prisons, haunted jails. Yes. Spooky, ooky yeah. places. We squeezed that in so I could talk about the yeah. jail. <laughs> <laughs> we retrofitted our topic for Corinne. It's perfect. This is, no one owns us. No one's telling us we what to do. We do whatever we want. Like drink exactly. a bottle of champagne before we record. <laughs> drink two bottles of champagne before we record. <laughs> whatever. Oh, man. <laughs> I like how I, this is the episode where we have really like nice mic stands and we're like, oh, we're so cool. We're so official. And then you just get drunk before. <laughs> I have to say, because I'm going to commend myself for two hot seconds. I okay. don't sound very drunk. Do I? No, I did not know you were at all. Thank you. Yeah, I had no idea. I suspected something was up because you were dressed in normal clothing. <laughs> and I don't know who does that. <laughs> during a time like this but i look cute and i'm wearing my overalls one pair of my many really overalls cute. you're wearing a beautiful outfit and you should take a photo okay i'll just take selfies while you're talking of you i'm kidding please proceed i am so excited okay. all right so when you walk up to this jail it is just the most beautiful and ominous structure it is i mean charleston for the most part most of the structures are quite low i mean they're right on the coast there are hurricanes there's you're not going to see many buildings above like two stories. And this thing is a big structure, a big like stone structure. It looks like a castle almost. And it's just like kind of like up high and looming over the neighborhood around it. And you cannot miss it. You turn the corner and you're like, holy shit, is that where I'm supposed to be for the tour? Because it's Whoa. so scary. It's so but, pretty. Like, it's so pretty. Yeah. And it what's really pretty too is when you walk up to it. It has a gate and you like walk through this kind of like archway and just all of the plants around it are really overgrown. And so it's just absolutely stunning. I took a bunch of photos. So I know I already put some on our Instagram story when mm -hmm. I was actually physically there in Charleston, but I'll add some to our Instagram so people can see what I'm talking about. But Love just it. so, so beautiful. And actually what's really interesting is if you look across the street from where the old city jail is. Mm-hmm. There is a community, like a, a bunch of housing units, and there are a bunch of children running around. And the whole time, Marissa and I were like, "These, there's no way these kids don't see stuff." Like, oh, I'm sure, they definitely know something we don't know about these ghosts. I'm surprised you can't live right at the bottom and not, you know. I'm surprised they haven't changed that into a into an apartment. Oh yeah, at all. Well, it's, I. I mean, I might be incorrect, but I believe it's, uh, I believe the surrounding area is like a low income housing. Oh, so I'm sure it's protected in some way. Too. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. But it's, oh my gosh, there's so many kids. And I was like, what do they see? Tell me. But, you know, I can't approach a child unknown to me and start asking them weird questions. I mean, you could, but it would be strange. But I don't want to get arrested yeah. and I don't want to scar children for the rest of our Good lives. Good call. So I chose not to. I chose to just wonder. 
It is beautiful though. We went to the property and we took a tour by Bulldog Tours and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about them after. But Marissa and I went, we went on a 45 minute tour in the old jail, old city jail. In our 45 minute tour, we had like five things happen to us, which <gasps> is just insane for such what? a short amount of time. So if you're looking for a place to go where you are more likely to experience paranormal activity than not, you need to motherfucking go to this place. So cool. Okay. So what the heck is this place? This jail was built in 1802 and it existed as a jail until 1939. So it's been around for quite some time. And the jail was built to keep the worst criminals in the city. And this jail was also known for just its terrible, terrible conditions. There were three floors, originally four floors, but three floors. And the seriousness of the crimes determined which floor a criminal would be assigned to. So if you were at the very top floor, that was for most serious crimes. And then the bottom floor tended to be more for what they called like gentleman crimes. So just those of lesser crimes, people who weren't really having long sentences, they would just kind of popped in and out or just had like the lesser of the crimes. But the way that the floors worked was the first floor was the gentleman criminals. The second floor housed debtors and sex workers. Interesting. It was co-ed? Yes, it was co-ed. Wow. The third floor housed murderers and thieves. And up until 1886, when an earthquake destroyed some of the building, there had been a fourth floor. And this is where the pregnant women were held, allowing them to generally be in somewhat of a safer area to give birth. So it almost was like better to get pregnant in there, though I would hope that people were pregnant going in versus becoming pregnant yeah, there because I don't like that. Yeah, it's bad. The whole thing was just absolutely awful. Like the most disgusting ways of treating people and housing people happened here. The conditions were just like, it's hard to think about, but there were a few rooms and the rooms were rather large. Some had cages in them, like physical, like small cages. Some had bars where a few certain people were packed inside the bars. There were other rooms that were completely like solitary confinement style. There were just bodies and bodies of these humans, these prisoners who were just stuffed together with very little room to move and very little hygiene taken into consideration. Can you remind me what year this opened? This opened in uh, 1802. The floors were covered with hay and the people said, the people of, of Charleston or whoever was in charge of this prison basically said that the prisoners were little better than livestock. And so they were crowded and placed on hay in these rooms with a roof over their head to be a little bit better than some of the livestock. But a roof might sound great, especially in Charleston and a a coastal town where, you know, it can get extremely rainy in the fall and, and winter when hurricane season comes. Right. However, this roof added very little comfort to the prisoners. The rooms would become incredibly hot during Charleston summers. It would just be absolutely scorching. The small windows only let a little bit of fresh air in, and it mostly let mosquitoes who brought diseases. It let rats crawl up the side and into the windows. Oh it was gosh. just absolutely disgusting. And some of the rooms also had steel in them, so they would become like literally an oven, like baking people. It was so gross. Wow. And there was also no lighting at night. So there, I mean, there was no electricity. There was no running water, really. Like, it was just gross. And there were very few windows. And it was also Charleston and kind of, like, set away from the main city at the time. Mm -hmm. And so at night, it would be completely pitch dark. 
And oh, that's so scary. Would just oh my god, it was so scary. And there was actually a point where we were in a room that had no windows, and uh, our tour guide turned off her <gasps> flashlight so that we could just experience what other prisoners experienced at nope. night. Oh my god, you cannot see your hand in front of your face. It was absolute darkness. That's like terrifying. Not a, tiny tiny bit of light could get in and so these prisoners who were kept with other prisoners who also committed crimes are just sitting there throughout the night praying that someone doesn't lose it and and stumble upon them and decide that they should die right be beaten or attacked oh gosh so it was just extremely unsettling and extremely just tragic i know uh, Plenty of the people who were in there deserved to be in there, but there were a whole lot of people who did not deserve to be in conditions like that at all. Right. And I feel like it's such a, every time we hear of, especially older prisons and like the the start of them, you always hear about like the poor conditions and like the terrible testing that they did on the inmates. And yeah, it's just like, that's, that's so terrible. Yeah. Yeah. To then suddenly categorize someone as less than. Right. And the way you I described it as like almost treated like cattle yeah like livestock yeah yeah it yeah treated in this way is just really awful yeah some criminals were sentenced to death and only spent a few short weeks in prison before they were hanged in the yard and at the jailhouse like right outside of the walls right where you walked now i believe the parking lot i might be wrong but it, it was right out there yikes um and numerous criminals died of injuries diseases sickness or at the hands of other prisoners before ever being able to make it outside of the walls of the old city jail. And throughout the history of this building, over 10,000 people died in the building. 10,000? It has only been around for two centuries. 10,000. 10,000. That that. is... I read a number that said it was like 13,000 something, (gasps) but at least 10,000. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe a lot of the bodies are believed to have been buried on the property. Oh my gosh. You're basically standing on the soles of the people. (gasps) That's a lot of people. 10,000. Oh my God. And it's not even that big. Like if you look at it, it's, I mean, maybe being inside and being there itself is different. It's not that big though. But it doesn't look that big. Yeah. It was equipped to hold only 130 people at a time. That's like, that was its capacity. So it's a small jail. I'm looking and, at the pictures and trying to find ghosts in the windows. Well, there have been plenty of ghost photos. I was I was like perusing through too. I feel like we need to watch like ghost adventures or ghost hunters. Yes. Like, there's been so many groups to go through, but this was one episode where I told myself I wouldn't talk about them. <laughs> I would just talk about my ghost hunting there. It's hard. Uh, hard not so, to. So this jail was also used as a prisoner of war camp during the Civil War. And because of this, they ran out of space in the prison because they just held so many Union soldiers and... Actually, some of these soldiers, a a large number of them were forced to sleep outside, which I'm very curious about, like how they ended up kind of like maintaining prisoners if they had many of them outside. But at the busiest time of the jail, it held 350 inmates. And remember, I told you it was only equipped to hold 130. So it was so overcrowded. It was. And I bet not even really equipped to hold 130, but just like crammed in 130. Yeah. Like full capacity. So imagine cramming in 300. Mm. So bad. Yeah. So bad. Yeah. And there was so much violence throughout the jail too. Like they had murderers, they had uh, pirates, they had just some of the worst criminals there. Pirates, well. you say? They had pirates. <laughs> there was one pirate. I'm just going off my memory now because I didn't I didn't write it down, but there was one pirate that was like had 
looted, of course, like done general piracy things that can can categorize you as a pirate. Some booty looting? But he looted the booty, but then he also beheaded like eight people or something before okay he he was just like he was a murderer i mean he he had the label of pirate but like he was just fucking murderer anyway during this time of the jail the most famous of criminals stayed there and this was lavinia fisher and her husband john fisher lavinia is thought to be the first female serial killer in the united states history what how have i never heard of her i had heard of her name i mean yeah well i'll tell you about her you don't need to know because i'll tell you lavinia and her husband were highway robbers and they were just a part of this gang but they uh, spent most of their lives in charleston where they owned and operated an inn called the six mile wayfarer inn and it was called the six mile wayfarer inn because it was six miles from the heart of charleston and it kind of like housed passerbyers etc. And so during the time that Lavinia and John Fisher owned the inn, there started to be an influx of reports made to the local sheriff about people disappearing. I do know them. Okay, yes. It's like, it's an OG murder story. I'm familiar. So people are going missing, people are reporting the disappearances, and they all have this common theme of having stayed or disappeared around the inn Mm -hmm. that Lavinia and her husband owned. And the police kind of investigated, but there was no evidence. Not much came of the investigation. So nothing happened. And Lavinia and John just kept doing what they were doing, murdering people. And supposedly, Lavinia would invite lone travelers into the inn for dinner. And she would ask them questions about themselves. Like, what do you do? What is your occupation? Tell me more. And she was like a very beautiful woman. And so she'd kind of be seductive and, you know, loosen everybody up a little bit with her conversation and flirt with them a bit. But she would attempt to gauge how much money these travelers had with them. Mm. And she would give them a, a room to stay the night and she would give them a cup of tea. And this cup of tea was poisoned with oleander, which is a plant that grows and it grows plenty well in Charleston and South Carolina regions, but it is incredibly deadly to be consumed. And it has made it into many television shows, made it into Dexter. What's that show? The, uh, the Jessica Biel was a sinner. Sinner. It's in the sinner. Like oleander tea is just a known. I'm going to kill you tea. I'm pretty sure. Prodigal Son wrote it into an episode too. Oh, really? Yeah. Oleander, man, don't keep that on your property. You mm-hmm. look awfully suspicious should anything happen to anyone you know. Yep. She would give them tea spiked with oleander, which would obviously poison them or put them into like a very, very like deep sedative state. And once the travelers drank their tea and went up to bed, her and her husband would go into the traveler's room and make sure that they were dead, often with John stabbing them just for reassurance so lavinia and john fisher would soon be caught as two victims escaped attempted murders at the hands of lavinia and john so the first was david ross he was actually a member of a vigilante gang so he was kind of at the time in charleston terrorizing the area with his other gang members and then the rest of the gang was like, we got to move on. You stay. <laughs> you keep watch for a little bit over the area. Make sure everything's good with how we left it. Mm. And so David was left on watch duty. But the very next morning after the rest of his crew had left, David Ross was attacked by two men and Lavinia Fisher 
and Lavinia choked him and smashed his head through a window. (gasps) Lavinia. I know. She was aggressive. He ended up escaping all three of the people and just sprinting to the authorities and immediately told the authorities. But then right after this, as if John and Lavinia were obviously not very concerned with being caught because they were... They were just continuing on their crime spree. My gosh. Right after this, a traveler named John Peoples, he stopped at the inn for a room. And Lavinia said that there were no vacancies, but he was welcome to come in, have some tea. Mm -hmm. You can rest temporarily. Just relax your bones, you weary traveler, you. And she handed him some tea and she believed that he had drank it. However... John Peoples didn't like tea, but he also really didn't want to seem rude. So he ended up tossing the tea when she wasn't looking and then just basically like mimicked drinking it and made it seem like, oh, I really appreciate your kind gesture. I drank all of your tea. Wow. So then after he was finished with the tea, Lavinia started to ask him questions about his occupation, trying to get a feel for how much money this guy has. Mm -hmm. And then finally she's like, oh, actually a room has opened up. Go on ahead. Go rest your bones. Like, you can spend the night. And so he heads up to the room and he's like, okay, this is really weird. I don't know what's going on here, but this woman is awfully suspicious. And she kept asking me about my job and about money. And I think she's going to rob me. So I'm going to stay on high alert so that I don't get robbed. So he's a smart man. Yeah. But also really just a lucky man to have not drank the tea so that he was still alert enough to understand the situation and make these decisions Mm -hmm. for himself. So instead of getting into bed, John Peoples sits in a chair by the door. And in the middle of the night, he awoke to Lavinia and John discussing their plan to kill him. (gasps) Oh my gosh. Could you imagine waking up to that? Oh my God. No, like right behind the door. So he panics and he quickly, there's like a a few differing accounts, but basically what I read was he, he jumps out of the window and he takes a horse the six miles into the town of Charleston, and he immediately alerts the authorities, who then immediately go to the inn and catch Lavinia and John Fisher and two other gang members scheming. And in an attempt to save Lavinia, John Fisher provided all of the names of gang members, just ratted them out to be like, don't take Lavinia. She had nothing to do with it. She shouldn't go to jail, blah, 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 blah. But it didn't work. There was way too much evidence. There was a bunch of items that had belonged to people that had gone missing in the inn. So basically a bunch of trophies. And then there was supposedly skeletal remains of over 100 men on the property. Damn. So they're like, Lavinia and John Fisher, you're fucked. You're going to jail, to the old city jail, to the third floor. Real Sweeney Todd vibes. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Very Sweeney Todd vibes. And like, it also reminds me of in stories like this where it's like, Kind of like Barbie and Ken style killers. Mm-hmm. It always makes me curious about, because in so many instances, they're like, the men were like the worst of the criminals. But I'm like, I don't know, though. I think the women could be pretty manipulative and probably, yeah, maybe not carried out as many crimes with right. blood on your hands, but definitely blood on your mind and your conscience. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like they were just both equally a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. The only people they cared about in life were each other. Yikes. Um, And so they were sent to the old city jail. And in the jail, Lavinia and John created a plan to escape. And they actually half succeeded with the plan. And John ended up escaping, but the rope broke and Lavinia couldn't get out. And John was just a loyal husband. And he was like, I can't leave my wife here to die. 
And so he went back in. He basically like let himself be recaptured and wow. entered the jail. And at the time had been kept in in sort of like this cage in this room with a few other inmates and were like kind of loosely watched. But after mm-hmm. the attempted escape, they were watched very carefully. I love that he went back for her and just was like, I could have my freedom, but actually, you know what? I love you more. Yeah. And they ended up dying together because they were executed eventually. But it's thought that there was uh, probably plenty of abuse bestowed upon Lavinia and John, especially Lavinia, because she was the only female kept in the room, which is hard to think about. But a year later, the two were sent to the yard for execution. And at the time, there was a law that said no married woman could be hanged. And so Lavinia kept insisting, like, you can't kill me. You can't kill me. I'm a married woman. This is against the law. You can't kill me. So the executioner was like, okay, and then hung John, killing him, leaving Lavinia as a widower. Now she was unmarried. Now he could kill her. Oh. So she had to watch her husband die first so that she could legally be hanged. And so then in her final breath, she screamed, if any of you have a message for the devil, tell me now, or I shall be seeing him shortly. Oh, I just got chills. Oh my and gosh. she herself jumped off the stand, ending her own life. Whoa. And it is believed that her spirit still remains at the old city jail, spotted in the room where she and her husband had been kept prior to their death, And she often appears coming out of one particular corner of the room, and many people have seen her. Visitors feel cold breezes go by them, and she tends to actually really like men, despite all of the horrors uh, that she probably experienced at the hands of men, and then also bestowed upon them with her numerous killings. Right. But yeah, she tends to like the, the men that come come in and tends to, I guess, target them with her paranormal activity. Maybe she's trying to like... You know, still do her old tricks where she oh hello sir brings them in, makes them feel welcome, and then she's trying to steal their soul and kill them. Don't trust Lavinia. No, there have been pictures and videos that are believed to have captured Lavinia's spirit taken within the jail, and I believe it was Ghost Hunters had captured an EVP of Lavinia. Ooh, and they had asked her a question, and her response was just the devil. <laughs> so she's still very much in her uh, personality of being this big, scary lady. And the room where her spirit resides, when Marissa and I went in, the window had been opened after having been closed after the last tour came in and it had been opened and they kept tour guides who were, I guess, at, at war with opening and closing windows with Lavinia oh. in that room. Wow. John Fisher has also been spotted. And on one particular tour, a woman had been taking many pictures, just pictures all over the place. Uh, But in one photo, she saw a man walking from one side of the hall to the other. And when she noticed this, as she was like, kind of like looking through photos after she was in each room, she showed the tour guide and the tour guide was like, oh yeah, that looks like John Fisher. Must be the spirit of John Fisher. Wow. And then a few minutes later, the woman felt a tug on her hair but no one was around her and no one else on the tour had seen anything. She was like, what the hell was that? So she drew attention to it and everyone's like, oh, uh, no one. I don't know. No one. Not us. Yeah. And then another few minutes passed and suddenly she felt hands around her neck <gasps> as if she was being choked and she couldn't breathe. And the tour guide was like, oh my God, this woman's having cardiac arrest. She's having a heart attack. But then just like a few moments later, the woman was fine again, but obviously 
terrified. She explains to everybody what she had felt. That she felt like she was being choked. And she's like, bye. I'm never <laughs> going on another paranormal tour again. I do not need to continue with this one. And so she left the tour prematurely because she had experienced quite enough for her to understand the horrors of this jail. I don't blame her. I know. And she's not the only one who has also left mid-tour. Like our tour guide had told us that on numerous occasions, like if this is too much, just raise your hand and I'll walk you out because there's a lot of opportunities for spirits to mess with you. So Ah. it's plenty scary and there's plenty of other paranormal activity that is just too much for people and they need to leave. Tour guides have said that they themselves have seen a bunch of spirits. They feel cold breezes. They hear distant chatter. They hear doors and windows moving. They see orbs. They see shadows. They've been physically touched. They've been pushed. And the spirits are so used to the tour guides because they see them all the time that often when a tour guide is in there, it's as if no one, no humans are in there. Like the spirits just go on as if no one was watching them. They are just super, super active. And so tour guides are like, oh, this is a little creepy, especially when the sun goes down. I'm sure. So when Marissa and I were on the tour, (gasps) we learned about two children who had spent time in the jail and the interactions that their spirits still have on the property today. Mm Mm-hmm. So this is just an awful, awful story. It includes a young child and abuse and racism. So just as a warning to everybody, it's a really tough story to think about and and hear and learn. Okay. It's disturbing. Okay. So back when the jail was still in operation, let's remember that this was the South and racism was still very present. And many of the rules and regulations that exist today in prison systems and just in like general law did not exist back then. There was a young boy, his name was Alonzo Small. He was 10 years old and he and a few of his friends were playing on train cars nearby and a worker had spotted this group of kids and ran over yelling at them like, get off of the car, you're going to hurt yourself, get off of the train, just sprinting over, getting really mad, huffing and puffing. And this worker, as he's approaching the kids, he stumbles and as he stumbles, he actually like hits the train car. Oh my gosh. It's a lever. And falls down and the lever he hit released the car (gasps) and he fell down right in front of it and the car moved over him, severing his legs and killing him. Oh my gosh. Super graphic. So all of these young boys, these like 10 and 11 year old boys who were playing on the train are immediately taken in for questioning and they're the suspects. They thought these boys must have killed this train operator. Wow. Um, And... This particular boy, Alonzo Small, he was picked out of the group and he was charged with first degree murder at 10 years old, though he was just a kid who hadn't done anything at all besides lay in the wrong spot at the wrong time. And Alonzo was sent to the old city jail assigned to the third floor where most of the criminals were held. He was all alone. Oh, he was, no. He was on his own. No one that he knew was there. He was a terrified child thrown amongst pirates and murderers, and rapists, and he was just left there. He was a 10-year-old black child in Charleston, South Carolina, and because of that, he was sent to live this awful, terrible life and have his demise in the jail. It's like Central Park 6. It. Oh my god, I still, I only watched the first episode and I couldn't continue because I couldn't breathe. I was crying so hard during that series. I'll eventually get there, but it just hurts too much. Yeah. Records show that Alonzo Small was processed into the jail, 
but he never came out. Alonzo was the youngest prisoner to have ever been kept in the old city jail, and he lasted just two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. And his cause of death was never recorded, though I'm sure we can all imagine what this poor little baby endured. Yeah, that's not a natural death. Yeah. His spirit remains in the jail. Uh, He plays with visitors and he plays with the items left behind. People may experience cold spots near their ankles and the lower half of their body as if there's a child playing around you. Mm. He'll tug at your clothing. He'll tug at your hair. And tour guides often know when he is trying to play with someone because there's something about his energy. I don't know if he is just sucking all the energy from whoever he's trying to play with or if he's trying to enter the body of a particular person and and attempt to communicate. But tour guides say that whenever Alonzo is near and once he's picked someone to play with, that the person looks like really out of it as if they're about to faint. And so they'll just, tour guides will like lunge forward and grab the people and be like, okay, it's okay. All right, we're done playing. Thank you. Um, So yeah, you know, I mean, it's not the best when Alonzo tries to play with you because he might... He might fall smack to He might the, take all your energy. He might suck all your energy out of But there is a wheelchair on the property. I took a really creepy photo of it where it sat, and I'll post that picture too. But yes, please. no one quite knows what it was for. I'm assuming probably was used for maybe like the pregnant women in mm. the jail. But there was a wheelchair that has been left there. It is uh, original to the property, never taken out or added in after the fact. But this wheelchair ends up moving throughout the jail on its own and many people believe that it's alonzo playing with it because it is the closest thing to a toy in the whole facility alonzo i feel like people should bring toys for him i know right it kind of reminds me of when we did our cinco de mayo episode Mm -hmm. and it talked about the the little boy who the candy yeah yeah Uh, what does he say? Like, Damelo and Chocotito. Yeah. Like, he's always like, give me the chocolate. <laughs> but people leave him like toys and stuff and the toys move around. I feel like Alonzo wow. would benefit from that. Yeah. And then there's another boy that was kept in the jail. He was a teenager. He was kept in the prison. So Marissa and I saw the Artoria had brought us to the area where this boy was kept. And it was heartbreaking. Where he Ugh. was kept was basically the size of a closet. It was solitary confinement. This boy had been mentally ill and he was sent to the jail and he received absolutely no help that he needed and he lived his life in the jail and eventually passed away in a closet. He spent his entire life essentially in a closet. And today his spirit remains and he's often seen following tour groups tagging along for parts of the tour. And when he's spotted, this is going to sound really creepy and it really spooked me Marissa at first, but... He's seen crawling. So he will. <gasps> oh my God, that does will, seem so creepy. Yeah, because he follows you out of a room and he'll crawl following you behind you. So right. Like just in inside, like your fight or flight triggers and you're like, oh, something feels off and I feel like I should run if someone's crawling after me right. like this. Like especially a grown, a grown human. So it does sound absolutely terrifying when you think about like the paranormal realm he was mentally ill and crawling was a part of his natural movement so it's not meant to be scary it was just rather his way of getting around right and so if you do see him you shouldn't be scared he means no harm and the tour guides actually feel quite warm towards his spirit did you see him we did not see him no No. 
And then there's also a spirit of a very aggressive murderer who was believed to have been kept in a really small cage. Like he was essentially crouched down like in fetal position in this cage for the entire time he was kept there. I'm going to misremember part of it. And I was texting Marissa like, help me remember some of these details. (laughs) I believe he like choked and killed someone while against the cage. So he was like super, super dangerous. Like even when kept in like a crouching position in a cage could still kill a man. Like he was very manipulative, very like Hannibal Lecter-esque. And it's believed that his spirit still remains because people will hear, and this is so creepy, but they'll hear the sound of a small cage in chains dragging Ooh. across the floor as if he's like crouched down and walking and dragging his cage with him as he kind of like nope. crawls through the floor. It's very unsettling. Very unsettling. Okay, so here's some of the stuff me and Marissa experienced. Okay, good. Yay. So while Marissa and I were there, we experienced a few instances of paranormal activity I can't remember which room we were in, both after the fact we were like talking about the things that had happened and we couldn't pinpoint exactly which room it was. At the same time, we both felt a cold breeze. And for me, the cold breeze was right around my ankles. And for Marissa, she felt it at the same time, but like around her midsection. Oh. And the room that we had been in, I can't remember, like we remember what room it was. We just can't remember like what happened in that particular right, room. right. But the room had no windows. It was completely closed off to like the outside. So there was no wind. There was no breezes. There were only four people, four other people on the tour with us, an an older couple and a woman and her daughter, her teenage daughter. So we were a group of six plus our tour guide. That was seven people. So like everyone was accounted for. You could see everyone at all times. And so there was just no chance that it was anything else. Oh my gosh. We both felt this like breeze and we were like, oh, like we don't know which spirit it is, but maybe it's one of the children. Ah. Or maybe it was one of the spirits who had been taught as their story was being talked about in that room. Perhaps they right. came forward and gave us a sign. But I feel bad because we can't remember exactly what happened in that room. Right. Another spirit that we believe we came in contact with was the executioner. Oh, so he's still there. The exec- he's still there. Yeah. The executioner had worked in the prison for many, many years and allowed you know disease and torture and violence to occur to these inmates as he watched on and probably carried out some of these things himself and so this man when he passed away he was plagued his spirit was plagued with so much guilt Mm. and so he in an attempt to punish himself for all of the mistreatment of people his soul has now spent over 100 years in the jail whoa trying to right his wrongs and like have penance and has just been there for a very long time and the tour guides they feel sympathetically towards him and they always try to like speak out loud and be like it's not your fault this was just your job you were a product of the time you need to forgive yourself you need to move on but his spirit seems to remain and his spirit enjoys when he's talked about and he often delivers some sort of sign to the tour groups so i think a lot of the tour groups that go in probably see or experience something from him when it comes time to tell his story right but some people see him like crouching in the corner like a dark figure amongst even more darkness other times he'll move objects to communicate so when our tour guide was talking she kept her flashlight up on this piece of wire that was hanging from a beam on the ceiling and she said that sometimes it moves as she tells a story so marissa and i and like all the other people there we're all just standing around it's a group of seven of us in total and we're standing there and she's telling his whole story and talking about everything 
and you know we're probably in that room for like five ten minutes mm-hmm. and the the flashlight's on the wire the whole time and like it's not moving and so we're all just staring at this wire for such a long time and then finally our door guide's like okay well i guess you know <laughs> maybe he's not here today and as she's getting ready to like turn like the second she's about to turn the flashlight away and move us into a new room the wire starts like really moving in circles as if he was saying hello like it wasn't just like oh we a little breeze or like maybe we're just imagining it moving now like it was like whoosh whoosh whoa so we're like oh my gosh it happened and we'd been watching the wire for the whole time so you know right it, it wasn't i feel like if it was some sort of I don't know, breeze, it would have happened in the 10 minutes throughout the whole time we were there. He was like, I'm not going to come on command. I'm going to do it when I want to. Yeah. So we definitely felt like that was something that we experienced. Whoa, cool. Um, And then, so while we were moving from room to room and floor to floor, we went on all three three levels. I just want to remind everyone that we were the only people in the entire place. It's usually just one tour guide or one tour going through at once. And you can very clearly hear if someone else moves in the jail because it's very echoey. There's a lot of metal and the sound carries throughout the jail. So while we were moving throughout the old city jail, twice we heard noises from within the jail. And the first noise we heard was the noise of a large steel door opening and closing. Oh my gosh. extremely distinctive sound and the doors are very large they're very heavy like as we were going through the tour there were a few doors that the tour guide would have to open and close like just for us to enter into the room itself when that happened all of us stopped (laughs) and we were all listening and then the tour guide told us that what's really interesting is like this happens all the time they always hear the doors opening and closing it's like a daily occurrence but she said that when they go to investigate because they all, all the door guides like really know the property well. And so when they hear the noise, they, they can often tell at least what floor or what like general area the door is in. Mm-hmm. But when they go investigate, the doors themselves have never actually moved. So it's as if either it's a residual haunting or the souls of the prisoners are just imitating the noise of what they had experienced oh. with the doors in their time there. Or whatever spirit is doing it is like closing it before they can come back and find out the source. Yeah. I know I did ask when we were on the tour, I was like, is it mostly like intelligent hunting? Sorry, they residual. And they basically said it's kind of like a combo of both. But a lot of them are very interactive, like intelligent hauntings. It's just so cool how much history was recorded there because I feel like so mm-hmm. common, especially with buildings and prisons from so from that time, from the 1800s, records were not well kept. And especially if it was, you know, poor living conditions, similar to the young boy who was 10 years old, like the way he died was not recorded, but at least you have the record of him existing. And like, you have these stories and you can put a name to the spirits and their behaviors. Right. I know it is really wild. And there was so much too, because our tour guide did a really good job at distinguishing between like like she'd say like, this is fact, or this is straight from the records, or like, this is from a newspaper from the time or whatever. So she did a really good job of being like, this isn't just us talking about lore. She would say when it's like, it's suspected, or, you know, speculation in the paranormal world, or like, this came from a paranormal investigative group. But she always did that division between what is truly fact, and then what kind of like falls within the paranormal realm that we can't prove. 
So it was, it was really fascinating, but yeah, there's so much history here. So cool. At another point too, as we were walking through, we heard the sound of keys, like a big ring of like heavy Mm. jailhouse keys as if they were going to open a lock. And that was pretty crazy. And it was like, as our tour guide was talking and then we all heard it. And then someone was like, wait, stop. I heard that. (laughs) And then we all were quiet. And then of course nothing happened once we were quiet. That's so cool. Our tour guide didn't even hear it. She was like, huh? <laughs> We're like, we She's like, keys. oh, that's just Tuesday. Yeah. It's like when you live under an airport and you start tuning out all of the airplanes yep. going over. She's like, what? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> just used to it. Okay. So I know that all of this is like very fascinating and some things are quite scary, but I will tell you there's even scarier <gasps> in this property. Oh my gosh. There are shadow people. Of course. We need and them. The shadow people, the shadow figures are seen darting down the halls from one room to another. And there's one particular spot where shadow people are often seen. Many of them are very small in stature. And so our tour guide, since we were a small group, she stopped us there and just was like, take some time, take some pictures. We can like listen and hear Mm. if we like see if we hear any moving doors or anything. And we didn't really hear anything throughout the property, but we're taking pictures at that time. And as we're doing that, a small shadow figure about four feet tall ends up like appearing at the end of the <gasps> hall. No, and it disappeared. I didn't see it, but a few people on the tour, including Marissa saw it. I, while I'm half, half thankful and half upset, <laughs> I was looking in the wrong spot. So <laughs> I'm not good at following instructions. No, probably um, good that you didn't see it. I know. But other people did, and the shadow figure a few times as we were standing there apparently like peeked its head out, like as if it was like looking from a doorway, like peeking out, and then would dart its head back in. Oh my gosh. And did it a couple times, like three yeah. or four times as we were standing there. Oh, that's so, creepy. Very creepy. And what's even creepier is that there is an image that was caught, a photo that was caught by another woman who'd been on the tour. I don't know, it was like a few months earlier, a year before we went, uh-huh. sometime in the past year. She was on the tour and she was taking photos of the same spot, just like moving about, like taking pictures of the stairwell and the rooms and down this hall that we were all watching this shadow figure in. Mm -hmm. As she's going through her photos towards the end of the tour, she held down her photos because she was taking live photos. (laughs) And in this particular area, there is a small black shadow figure that is leaned forward as if it's like in a starting sprinting position. And it very quickly moves across from one side of the hall to the next. But it doesn't just move from one side of the hall to the next. It moves at like a diagonal, like closer to the group. Oh, oh. Which is so disturbing. And the reason I, we got to see this was because that girl, she sent the photo to the tour group and so the tour guides all have it on their phone, oh, or at least our so tour guide did. Cool. And so, yeah, she showed us this live photo and it was just, I mean, it really irked me the wrong way. Like there is, it's one thing to see a shadow figure like pop its head in and out, but for this like quick and sinister sprint right near a tour group to occur, like that's all, that's a whole How do thing. I get my hands on this? I know, right? I mean, they're never gonna, it's such a, it's such like a, you got to go on the tour. You gotta no, text I feel your like tour it's never guide. Go anywhere because it's, it's one of the perks of going on the I tour. Know. It's m- more of the enriched experience. I'm gonna to call them the and be like, "Hey, can you hook me up with that photo, I please?" <laughs> <laughs> it's possible that maybe this shadow person was running from something. Oh no! Because the old city jail is, you know, it's plagued with a dark past. The spirits who died there. 
The spirits very much own the jail today. They feel very comfortable. They're noisy. They're present. They're not shy of the groups moving through. Activity is almost constant, but every so often, the entire jail goes completely silent. Not a peep from the spirits. It's as if they're all hiding from something. What? And so the air in the jail when this happens gets a little denser. It's a little bit more menacing. And it's just completely still like dead air. And people believe that there's something bigger, a creature more powerful than any of the spirits on the property. And it comes to collect the souls. And the purpose of this is unknown. But all we know is that the spirits are afraid. And when this thing becomes present in the jail, all of them hide and it goes completely silent. And this thing is nicknamed the Collector. Oh my gosh. Could you be any creepier? I know. And it just like immediately reminded me of the Creeper. Yeah, from Waverly Hills. Yeah, all of the EVPs captured of when the Creeper's near of the ghost being like, hide, run. Which makes me think that those kinds of entities exist all over the place. So what are they? Are they demons Are they Satan himself? Is he coming to collect the souls? Yeah, I don't know. Or is it just one thing? I mean, it's not like it's a constant at any of these properties. Do you think that maybe there's just this creature that makes its rounds at its favorite spot? Demogorgon? Yeah, literally. It does seem like a Demogorgon. Oh. Okay. But anyway, so if you guys are looking to do any ghost tour in the world, my lord, I need to direct you here (laughs) because it's one of the few I've been on and like... It was 45 minutes. We did the tour through Bulldog Tours, and it was amazing. We had 45 minutes on tour with our tour guide, Susan, who was not only an amazing storyteller, but she also did a wonderful job, like I said, of distinguishing between what was historical fact and in the records, and then what was lore. And she knew like everything about the property, everything about the conditions of the inmates. She did such a good job at like painting a picture of what was, you know, equal parts disgusting and saddening while also creating this like really terrifying and chilling, uh, chill inducing space at the same time. Well, she was also just like generally knowledgeable about history and kind of like spoke to uh, some people on our tour were more of history buffs and had a bunch of questions and and she was able to like really speak to the times and, and um, whatnot, like very well. So I loved going on tour with her. It was a 45-minute tour, and between the two of us, we experienced five paranormal encounters, and many people like to go on the tour during nighttime, but we went around dusk, which I think, personally, is the best time to go. Oh, I love dusk. Yeah, because you get to take beautiful pictures of, like, the outside and the architecture, and you get to experience both. Like, when we went in, it was light, and we took a bunch of pictures. It Mm -hmm. was daytime. And then as we were in the tour, the sun was going down, and so we got to experience entirely what inmates had experienced in terms of light because we we started with like visibility and ended in complete darkness so has it been retrofitted now with like lights just for a few of the rooms yeah okay so only a few of the rooms have like the emergency exits and like Mm -hmm. some lights and and whatnot but there's no air conditioning so like if you go in the summer (laughs) it's going to be sweltering heat oh sure um and yeah, for the most part, there's there's not electricity in like every Whoa. space of, of the property. So only what's like truly necessary. It's like a terrifying and, and one of the most amazing ways to experience a bit of what life was like in a prison during this time. And if you're going to Charleston, I would say 
that you are remiss to not visit the old city jail via bulldog tours. This tour will like literally stick with me (laughs) forever. It was just so amazing. And now every day I'm just like hoping that the collector doesn't find Alonzo and the teenage boy that they stay safe. Wow. The collector. The collector. Now I need to go to Charleston. I would, like, we did the tour and I left and I immediately was like, I want to just sign up and do it again. Okay, so. I could easily do it like eight times in a row. Let's go again. I will do it. Okay. I loved it. So cool. And that's another thing I love about this topic. And in general, I guess, is just history. Like, there's so much history surrounding these prisons with like wars that happened in the U.S. and then just illnesses and murderers there's just so many mm-hmm. people and so many different types of souls that travel through that i know through that prison that i think is what makes this topic yeah. so cool and so scary many different people and then just like in general just what was the pure conditions like think about all the diseases that mosquitoes right. bring in and they were just going and rats and mosquitoes and everything was like just going throughout the the jail and so i'm sure people were right like, and people people killing each other yeah, everyone was on ed- edge. Like if if the inmate next to you wasn't going to kill you, the conditions sure as hell would. Wow. <sighs> Isn't that crazy? That is so cool. I love it. And let it. me just remind you, it operated, it was like in operation for like 150 years-ish and could properly hold about 130 people. And yet the records say, or so is said, that over 10,000 people died there. Which means that like the... The ghosts that you experienced could be accredited to so many spirits. Right. Ones that right. you don't even know and stories that haven't been told and are, have lo- been lost to history. I know. Ugh. I know. I was asking a friend the other day too. I was like, would you be upset if you haunted an area and like you were you, but everyone just attributed the haunting to some other person? Like if you were Sabrina Dianaroga and you haunted your apartment right now that you live in and then passed away. And then in a hundred years, they're like, it's haunted by the spirit of, of Corinne Loretta Hines. <laughs> and then you're like, what? Like, would you be mad? Or would you be like, it's okay. They're just at least recognizing me or like, I don't care. I'm well, it depends business. on like, if I was murdered, like I would think I'd be mad. Right. But yeah, if, if I'm just like effing with people, like whatever. Yeah. It's Loretta. It's Loretta. Blame Loretta. It's like uh, from the movie Split when it was like, that wasn't me. That was Patricia. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. It depends. Yeah. It depends on what I was doing and like who I was in life. Yeah. I imagine that would keep some spirits around sticking around because they're like, no, you need to figure out who I am and then I'll go get some peace. Like a good old Zona Heaster shoe. Yeah. Solve your murder from beyond. Honestly, that is goals. If I'm ever murdered, that is goals. Well, I know that you picked a jail that housed plenty of murderers. So I would oh, love yes, to hear I yours. did. So I chose, and I'm so excited because I have wanted to, on my own, just look up information about this prison because I think it's so historic. And whether you know it or not, you do know it. Like I, like everyone knows yeah. of this prison. It's a, it's a household name. It's a household name. And, and one day... Loretta, the ghost will also be a household name. And (laughs) so I was really excited that we have like this time right now where I was able to do the research because there is a lot of history and so much about this prison, which I'm specifically not telling you about yet because I'm going to do my introduction and then tell you what it is. Okay. But 
I, I was just like super jazzed about it. And as they say in Love Island, I'm just buzzing. Absolutely buzzing. <laughs> I'm just buzzing. <laughs> so there is a small little area in San Francisco, in the Bay of San Francisco, and it's a small little island just off the coast, which before settlers ever landed upon that land, the Native Americans who lived there felt that it was an area of evil. This land today is the home of the infamous Alcatraz Federal Prison. Oh, fuck all. So cool. Uh, So while Alcatraz is remembered for Al Capone, the Birdman, and other notorious criminals, and like these crazy elaborate escape attempts, it has a much longer and darker past and begins with this unknown superstition, which even in all my research, the like origins of that superstition and kind of what specifically they were superstitious about and where that evil came from was very unclear. But the Ohlone Native Americans were the first people to live in the area of what is now known as San Francisco, and they were very careful to steer clear of this island. They feared that it was a breeding ground for dark and evil spirits, and the only exception to stepping foot on the island was when any of their food resources were depleted because a lot of birds laid eggs there, and so they could hunt there if they needed to, but it was like a last resort circumstance. They also used it similar to how we tell our children that you, if you're naughty this year, you'll get coal. Anyone in the tribe who was misbehaved was threatened. And then eventually, if they didn't get themselves in order, sent to the island, left there alone for isolation. Oh my God. I mean, we used to do that to prisoners with Australia. Yeah. So. Australia is a perfect example of that. Yeah. So it was like they feared it so much that it was like the only way to keep people from going from to it and then the only way to use it is really if people are bad and we send them there and a lot of bones and artifacts have been unearthed which makes archaeologists think that this is it used to serve as a burial ground for native american outcasts specifically or did these outcasts just die there and then eventually the ground kind of buried them uh it's kind of like both beautiful and also extremely creepy to just think about nature taking taking back, you know, like right. just creeping over the skeletal Slowly remains. burying them. Yeah. Yeah. What caused the initial fear is kind of unclear, but whatever has been there, whatever that superstition was, it clearly lasted and has lasted and has haunted and kind of taken control of this land through the many years and continues to haunt it now. So in 1769, Spanish explorers made their way to San Francisco and they took the land from the Ohlone people and claimed it for themselves. But the Ohlone people were like, regardless of how angry they were that the land was being taken away from them, they made sure to tell the settlers that the island of the bay was evil. They said, stay away. And the Spaniards were were terrified. And so for years they stayed away because they were like, we are going to take that message and take heed of it because they themselves felt that there was something dark there. Yeah. Which that in and of itself says so much about the property because I think being a settler, being a conqueror, mm-hmm. you would probably be like, oh, I'm not supposed to go there. Like, hell yeah, that's the number one place we're supposed to go now. Like, right. But the message that those like native people must have given and that pure like energy and fear coming from them as they delivered the message must have been so evident for everyone to be like okay 
We really can we never gotta go stay here. away. And I think it adds to it because because of its location, it's like 1.25 miles away from the coast. And it's like in the middle of the bay. So the way that the tides hit and crash against that rock makes it really tumultuous and really dangerous to go out there. So even like getting there was a challenge. And then once you get there, all these people were like, it feels unsafe. There is a darkness here. Mm. So the Spaniards were like, all right, we won't settle on this land. Like we're going to settle in San Francisco and make it our land. And then years later in 1848, the United States took control of the land at the end of the Mexican-American War, and they saw the island as like, oh my gosh, this is the perfect place to help protect the coast because of its location. They can use it as like a military fortress and a defensive Mm -hmm. site. And so by 1854, the island had a lighthouse, a temporary wharf, shops, barracks, offices, and 11 cannons, which, fun fact for history buffs, the island eventually had over 100 cannons, but... They were never used for battle. The only time the cannons on the island were ever fired was in honor of President Lincoln's assassination. Wow. Just thought that was a cool fun fact. Yeah. That sentence sounds odd, like in honor of his assassination. Well, there was like an honorary funeral procession in San Francisco. Okay. Because yeah. he... So it was a he, memoriam thing rather than a... Yeah, exactly. Although there were apparently some people in San Francisco who were celebrating his assassination, which I'll get Mm -hmm. to in a minute. The construction of the fort continued for years, and the first death actually reported on the island occurred during 1857 during this construction. A crew was excavating a roadway between the wharf and the guardhouse when all of a sudden a 7,000-yard landslide occurred and rocks and debris came tumbling toward the workers, burying several of them and killing two of the men. So that was the first reported, documented death, two deaths on the rock. But like we've said, like I've said, there have been many bodies discovered on the land, which makes people think that deaths have occurred on that land for much, much Mm -hmm. longer. The construction continued and eventually this was named Fort Alcatraz and it became the most revered, most powerful coastal defense in the West. And it could hold up to 200 soldiers and enough provisions to withstand a four-month siege. So they were like, we got this. And while it was operating as a fort, one of the captains who was like, you know, in charge of Fort Alcatraz was like, this is the perfect place for a prison because, you know, we're in the middle of the water and it's really cold and the currents are really strong. And so, you know, we can keep prisoners here and they will never get away. Similar to like, if, if people came to attack us, we could live here for four months. There's some debate as to what, what and who the first prisoners were. There's one report that said the captain imprisoned some of his own soldiers, which just doesn't totally make sense to me. And then another stated that the Native Americans still in the area were the first to be chained and dragged to the island they feared so deeply to be imprisoned. And another report claimed that the first inmates were prisoners of war, soldiers who tried to run or who went mentally insane. And that kind of makes the most sense to me. So I'm just going to go ahead and think that it's probably what it is, but mm-hmm. I don't. Logic today doesn't transcend to logic in the 1800s. I think it's very different. Yeah. So I don't know. But anyway, this captain is like, it's going to be a prison. So by 1861, Alcatraz was officially designated as a military prison for the Department of the Pacific, and the conditions were terrible. And so it's not officially yet Alcatraz federal prison yet. This is military prison right now. Okay. The conditions similar to the Charleston jail were terrible. People were sleeping on like the cold stone floors. There were no beds. There was no heat. 
There was no running water. There was nothing. Like there were no sanitary facilities for the prisoners. It was just uninhabitable, but yet these men were being forced to live there. Right. And then the civil war happened, which caused a surplus of inmates. And then of course, illness spread through the prison and it was almost impossible to keep track of the prisoners because there were so many of them and they were running out of space. So they put the prisoners to work and built multiple structures called the lower prison. Basically the prisoners were forced to build their own cages and Criminals were imprisoned, and this is interesting. Apparently in San Francisco, there were, I think, just granted, I think at any time there's, you know, polarizing people who have different political views. And so when Lincoln was assassinated, mm-hmm. there were people celebrating the assassination. And those people were arrested and brought to Alcatraz military prison. There are people arrested for small time crimes, and they were housed side by side with murderers, rapists, and way worse criminals. And so death between inmates was at an all-time high. But unfortunately, because of how many people there were and how few guards and people there were to like manage the prisoners, a lot of the records and death reports were not kept well. Mm. First official death at Alcatraz Military Prison was on June 7th, 1873, and It's kind of a strange story because this Native American man named Pwauti Tom was transferred to Alcatraz from Nebraska, and no one knows why he was transferred, but two days after his arrival on Alcatraz, a guard shot and killed him. The reason for his transfer, the reason for his murder have never been recorded, so no one knows what it is, but it's suspicious. Like, was he brought there because of some beef between some people, or was it accidental? No one really knows. Through the many other wars, battles, and trying times in history, the island was ridden by disease and overpopulation, and by the turn of the century, the prison's population had increased to more than 400. And kind of similar to Charleston Jail, they were only equipped for 200. So they were way above their capacity. So they built an upper prison. Shortly thereafter, an oil lantern fire nearly destroyed the structures and the massive earthquake in 1906 made them reconsider the stability of the buildings on the island. And because of that, a new concrete building and multiple concrete buildings were commissioned to be constructed. And by 1912, after World War I, the largest reinforced building in the world was built on Alcatraz Island. It had four cell blocks with a total of 600 cells, and each cell had a toilet and electricity, which is a huge upgrade considering what the previous accommodations were. At this time... The prison was a minimum security prison, and the prisoners were given chances to attend classes to reform, and because of these lower security measures, there were a lot of escape attempts. There were four of them that were more notable, which took place in 1912, 1916, 1927, and 1929. On November 28, 1918, four prisoners managed to escape with rafts, and the authorities assumed that the men had drowned, but they were sighted a few days later in a forest nearby And only one of them was recaptured and the other three disappeared back into society. Mm. So it's really interesting because keeping this in mind, like that is a successful escape attempt. But Alcatraz was supposed to be built as this inescapable prison. That's just like, I feel like that's just a miracle. Like it is having quite strong swimmers mixed Mm -hmm. with currents that are working in your favor in the moment. And it's November, late November. It's cold. Yeah, I know. It shouldn't have worked. Right. 
And over the years as a military prison, so again, before it was the federal prison, 80 men tried to escape, 62 were recaptured, and the others were presumed to have drowned. And that is, that's saying that the other four who did escape successfully, they are considered to have drowned because they never actually found them, but they found the one guy and recaptured him. So they don't did he, ever did say he that they were successful. Say? I know. I'm curious. Like, I don't know. Because that, I, yeah. I was like, what if I was the prisoner who escaped with these other people? Like, they all escaped at once, right? Like, all together? Yeah. And so I don't know what I would do if I was the recaptured individual. Because if you say, like, oh, they died, that could either be the truth or you could be just misleading authorities to help right. your friends continue on. I don't know. So you'd think that he would have said something. You would have thought he would have been like, yeah, they died, man. You would think, but I think also just the prison in general was like, well, we're just going to say that they drowned because we've never found them. And it's better for us PR wise to say that they died than they escaped successfully. By 1933, Alcatraz minimum security military prison was just too difficult to manage and pay for. But J. Edgar Hoover saw all these tumultuous times in the States and gang activity was rising and there were riots in prison and he had an idea. He said, minimum security military prison cannot stay up, but what if we can make a super prison, a place to instill fear in the mind of would-be criminals and current criminals, a place that no criminal would ever want to go to? Alcatraz. Mm. It was supposed to be a place of no escape. It was supposed to be terrifying. And by 1934, all military prisoners were moved from Alcatraz Island, except for 32 of them who were deemed the worst of the worst at Alcatraz Military Prison. And they were the first inmates of Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary. So the maximum security prison that we know of today was formed. And the existing building was given a slight makeover to make it escape proof. And all guards were armed with machine guns to oversee inmates. The mess hall and main entrance were equipped with built-in tear gas canisters in the ceiling, which could be activated from outside observation points. And there were metal detectors placed in and around the prison. And just for safe measure, all utility tunnels were cemented over so that no prisoner could enter, hide, or use them to escape. Like they did everything that they could to make sure this place was locked down. Like machine guns. That's really extreme. And there were three guards. No, one guard to every three inmate. Whereas like typically it's like one to 15 ratio. Mm. It was one to three. So they had a lot of guards. And the remaining barracks and fort buildings were converted into housing quarters for the prison guards and their family. Because that's definitely where you'd want your children to grow up. The island of Alcatraz was so heavily fortified and feared throughout the world that it earned the nickname Uncle Sam's Devil's Island. Wow. And it's totally Azkaban. Like, it is the mobile version of Azkaban. As I was reading this, I was like, I totally put this together in my mind before, but now it's like, this is so Azkaban. Was that the inspiration, do you think? J.K. Rowling? It had to be. How do you say your name? It had to be. Because it's like spot on. Right. San Francisco is so gloomy of a city anyway that like, I don't know, like the clouds lurking Mm -hmm. over this treacherous island that keeps the most dangerous of criminals, these hardened people that are just always determined to either kill each other or kill the guards. Like that's that's the message that you grow up hearing when it comes to Alcatraz. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And boy, did it deliver. It was a very strict prison 
they hired the the warden that they hired ended up being like the most strict warden in U.S. prison history. Wow. And they hired him, obviously, because of that, because he was known for his strict rules and he created this reward system and consequences system. So basically, if inmates behaved poorly or attempted to escape or had special privileges in their previous prisons, they were going to already be treated worse than any other inmate at Alcatraz. Because it was like so similar to that. If you think about it, Al Capone, who infamously had given had been given this like amazing deal at his previous prison. He had like there's those famous photos, right, of like his prison with like the Persian rug and the desk and the nice comforter and the chair. And he was able he was given so many privileges in his prison that his he was still able to run his mob. Yeah. But he was moved to Alcatraz. And the warden, James Johnson, was like, I'm so glad Al Capone's coming here because he has no idea what's coming for him. So Al Capone comes in. He's the 85th prison of Alcatraz. And he was like, this won't be so bad. Alcatraz, Malcatraz, I'm Al Capone. And right off the bat, James Johnston put him in cell D, which was the worst cell block of the prison. And gave him no privileges. He was put in isolation. He wasn't allowed to like leave his cell for many days. Basically just like set him up in a really terrible situation to make him be like, this is the real deal. Don't try me. Yeah. Then eventually he was kind of put back into the prison system and he was able to like go out and have his like free time or whatever. But Capone started to realize that not only was he not getting special privileges, But because of that, now he was at risk because all of these other inmates and prisoners in Alcatraz knew who he was because it was hard not to know who Al Capone was and they didn't really like him. So he thought his life was at risk and rumor has it that he would take solace in the shower room and he would play his banjo because he felt safe there. How did he have a banjo? I don't know. Maybe they had, I don't know. I don't know. Don't know all the answers, Corinne. Uh, Yeah, because I'm thinking mm, banjo strings, that's an easy weapon for suffocation. Yeah. Well, he didn't suffocate anyone. He just played his banjo in the solace of the shower room. That like, I I, like do and don't like that story because I do like it because just the thought of like having a little time to, to yourself to play the banjo in the bathroom seems nice. But also on the flip side, it starts to make you feel a little sympathetic towards this awful guy. He was not wrong to fear his safety. And also he killed so many people. But so right. Capone was not wrong to fear his safety. He was actually in the barber shop at in Alcatraz prison in 1936. And James Tex Lucas stabbed Capone with scissors. And Capone apparently took his banjo and retaliated against James Tex Lucas by like beating him and bashing him in with his banjo and like breaking his banjo in. But he was protecting himself, right? I guess. So based on how viciously he retaliated, the two men were both placed into isolation for eight days afterwards. And I will get to this a little bit later, but the what isolation was in Alcatraz is not what you would expect isolation to be. You expect like a white room or just like a cell with no windows by yourself. No, Alcatraz isolation meant the whole, which is what it sounds like. It was a cell that when you went inside, it was a hole and you went inside the hole and you were kept in the hole. And rumor has it, there was some dark entity that liked to stay in the hole with these inmates. 
But Capone made it through isolation for eight days and was released back into his regular cell. And as many people know, Capone was a ladies' man in his heyday and contracted syphilis, which eventually reached his brain and caused a multitude of medical ailments. So when he was in Alcatraz, it started going to his brain and he needed a lot of medical care and attention and was eventually transferred to a prison in Florida where he could get proper medical care. And he died in 1947. And while he may not have died on the island of Alcatraz, Capone's spirit is rumored to haunt the infamous prison. It's not quite clear if it's a residual haunting or if it's actually his spirit, but the sounds of his banjo permeate the showers in near his cell. Oh my goodness. Can you, that's like a little creepy. Does the sound of the banjo? Deliverance style. Like you're just in the shower and think you're all alone and then seemingly right next to you you hear the nice thing now i mean i guess not nice thing but it is abandoned so there are no prisoners or anyone taking showers there anymore right (laughs) but i don't know who knows from before it closed maybe prisoners were hearing al capone's banjo play yeah there's a, a blogger that i follow her name is chrissy but her Instagram handle for anyone out there is Harlow James, and she's like an interior designer and oh, has a beautiful. What I follow her? Did I? Ta- I probably you probably you did. <laughs> yeah, I tag everybody. She always videotapes like the sun rising or like the sunset from her apartment, and she has a view of the Bay of San Francisco. And the other day, it was so clear that she zoomed in and was like, "By the way, I can see Alcatraz from my apartment." <gasps> That's so and cool. She- yeah, so she like panned over and she zoomed in and you can see the entire structure, like the whole island is unobstructed, granted like when there's, when weather conditions permit in, mm-hmm. in generally a uh, foggy, smoggy city. But yeah, I was like, damn it, I wish I lived in her apartment. That's so cool. I wanted to go to Alcatraz for so long and I remember the last time I was in San Francisco, it was actually after I went to, when I went to Winchester Mystery House last was that last April? Anyway, yeah. when I went, I went up to San Francisco and we were going to spend the weekend there. And I was like, I so badly want to go to Alcatraz. I know. But then I couldn't convince anyone else to go with me. So I have to make a trip to go. How often do they do like tours? I think trips? every day. And you actually go into the structure? Mm-hmm. I know. So I would, you know, after, after my trip to the Charleston Old City Jail, uh-huh. I think I, I think I got a little bit braver. Oh my so gosh. I, Will surprise myself and you and probably everyone by saying, I'll go to Alcatraz <gasps> with you. Yay. Okay, good. Well, actually, it's not terribly scary. There are some scary things and we could probably avoid them, but also we I want to go see them. So although this is a paranormal podcast, I cannot talk about Alcatraz without talking about the escape attempts. So I'm going to talk about the escape attempts for a little bit because they are so cool. Okay. And they're also so elaborate, which is just amazing. So there are a lot of different criminals who took up residence at Alcatraz, murderers, mobsters, the Birdman, who I didn't know much about, but there's a movie. Yeah, I've never heard of that. There's a movie named Bir- or called Birdman, and that's how he became famous. But basically, it's this murderer who, while in prison, not at Alcatraz, found these two baby birds that were injured and like nursed them back to health and then became obsessed with birds and then was later transferred to Alcatraz. And I think Birdman, I haven't seen it in years, but I think it... That movie is about an escape attempt from Alcatraz about a man who tries to become a bird to escape and like creates a bird outfit. Oh, but that's not reality. So, but that's how he became famous. The movie okay. made Birdman famous. 
And so while it's said to be the safest and most secure prison, there are many riots, escape attempts, and ultimately deaths that took place over the years. So there were a total of 1,545 prisoners contained at Alcatraz over the years, and 36 men attempted to escape in 14 separate attempts. So these are just during federal penitentiary days, like not including the minimum security jail. Mm -hmm. Of those, 20 of them were recaptured, seven were shot and killed, two were confirmed to drown, and five were never found but presumed to have drowned. So the first escape attempt took place on December 16th, 1937. Theodore Cole and Ralph Rowe were both assigned to work in the same workshop, and over time, the two men filed their way through the flat iron bars of a window, and they filed it down so that they could slip through the bars and climb out the window, which is exactly what they did. And they fled from the prison and disappeared into the San Francisco Bay, never to be seen again. And authorities thought that they had drowned. The bay waters were deadly. The chances of swimming the 1.25 miles to land in the cold water were very slim. But four years later, rumors circulated that the men were alive and well and living in South America. But no one really knows if it's true or not. Hmm. We won't know. Not until we die and get all the answers, which I hope happens. All of the answers just suddenly flood into your brain mm-hmm. until you're pushed through a canal once again, <laughs> reborn, and don't remember And anything. have no memories. The bloodiest and perhaps most known escape was coined the Battle of Alcatraz and took place over a period of three days in May of 1946 in cell block C. So a group of six prisoners took control of the cell house on May 2nd. They overpowered the officers and gained access to their weapons and keys, which I think is so crazy. And this must have been so well planned in order for them to overpower guards with machine guns. Yeah. Where there's one guard to every three people yeah. with machine guns. Right. So they ended up overpowering the officers and getting their guns and the keys. And they planned to use the keys to escape the recreation yard door. But when they tried all the keys, none of the keys fit to that door. So instead of just giving up, they were like, we're just going to keep fighting until someone lets us out. In that fighting, they killed two of the guards and took other guards hostage. And eventually it got so bad that the U.S. Marines were called in to help assist. And three of the escapees at that time or attempted escapees at the time of the six decided to like give up and they went back to their cells. And then the other three continued to fight. And all three of them who continued to fight died in the melee against the U.S. Marines. Two more guards were killed. 17 guards and one other prisoner were wounded. And then the remaining three attempted escapees were tried for the bloodshed. Two were sentenced to death. And the third, who was only 19 years old, received a second life sentence. Like absolute chaos. Oh, complete chaos. Yeah. On July 11th, 1962, three men disappeared from Alcatraz, which inspired Clint Eastwood's movie Escape from Alcatraz because it was so elaborate. And this is my favorite escape attempt ever. It's so cool. So there was an escape attempt put on and planned by four men, but one of them never made it out. And all four men basically made plaster heads with real hair that they swept up off the barbershop floor. And the heads were so creepy in life. Like you need to look it up because it's, they're wild. Okay. They're like paper mache. I'm going to do it now. They like remind me of like the heads that you would make in like elementary school with like a balloon and then you paper mache it and then pop the balloon and then sculpt the outside of it. Also, I'm just like, if there were, if there was one guard to every like three prisoners, how in the hell were they that unsupervised where they could make paper mache heads and then put hair on them? They like, were sneaky. I don't know. 
Oh my god. Ew. Isn't it crazy? So the night of the escape, they left these paper mache heads on their beds and tucked them in to make it look as if they were still sleeping in their cells. And they slipped themselves into the ventilators that were in their cells, which they had widened with spoons that they had stolen from the kitchen over time. So they were like basically like carving it out. And unfortunately, this is where the fourth inmate who had been part of the plan did not make it because he was a little too chubby to make it through the ventilator. Oh, God. So he stayed back in his cell. But the remaining three men followed the vents into the utility corridor, then to the roof and down to the water. And again, they were believed to have drowned, but no bodies were ever recovered. And like I said, probably saying that they drowned was better for Alcatraz's PR than a successful escape. And in 2013, the FBI received a letter signed by one of the three men saying that all three of them survived, barely, but that they survived and are all living out in the world still. And according to handwriting analysis, the signatures matched perfectly. So it's very, very likely that they did survive. Oh my gosh. Wait, how old would they be now? What if they're someone's grandpa? They might be. They very, very well might be. They better give this deathbed confession to their families. <laughs> they escaped what? July 1962. I don't know how old they were then. If they escaped 1960s. So yeah, they're probably in there. Assuming that they were, let's say that they were in their 30s. Mm -hmm. They're... 80 90 years old now yeah they're older they're in their 80s they're yeah. someone's grandpa um and then the last escape took place on december 12 1962 and the man swam from the island under the golden gate bridge into land and proved basically that the swim could be done successfully in the midst of winter that an escape was possible but the man was found suffering from hypothermia like right off the edge of the coast and was nearly dying so yes he made the swim but he almost died wow and then by March 1963, the prison was impossible to pay for. It was the most expensive prison facility in the world, and the inmates were all taken off the island. And it wasn't until its closure that the stories of what was now coined Helcatraz began to spread. The truth of what darkness existed on the island got out, and while we're not thankful for the horrors that people had to withstand, we are thankful for the ghost stories, because that's what we're here for. Oh, yeah. So the evil that the Ohlone tribe spoke of didn't seem too off base after reading about these stories because men went mad inside the prison, specifically in cell block D, which was known as the treatment unit. But really, the unit was much, much darker and more of the isolation and kind of deprived inmates. Mm. that's where most of the most dangerous inmates were kept and placed there for bad behavior and harsher punishments existed in the block where men were put in what they called holes where Al Capone was put in and they were put into solitary and confined to complete darkness. And there's a story, a famous story that took place in cell block D of an inmate who was moved to one of these holes. And after a few hours of being locked inside, he began to scream and call for help. He begged the guard to let him out because he said there was someone else inside with him. <gasps> he said there was a man with red eyes watching him. And the guard, who's like, you're just making excuses and trying to get out, ignored him. Oh, my God. The next morning, when they opened the cell door to give the inmate his breakfast, they found that he was dead, covered in bruises and scratches and strangulation marks around his neck. <gasps> no It appeared way. as if he had been brutally attacked by a second party. 
although he was in isolation, completely alone. How in the hell? And that it, is so creepy. It's so terrifying. It remi- It's like very American Horror Story hotel, sort of. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yeah. And his death was ruled a suicide, but no one believed that. Even like there, there was no medical way that he could have taken his own life. And there are five other supposed suicides in the prison and countless inmates that went insane while living within Alcatraz. And it makes you question what the truth behind all of these are. With all of the history and already preconceived superstitions, it's no wonder that the island is considered amongst the most haunted places in the world. And people have heard mysterious screams, running footsteps, loud crashes, and felt extremely unsafe in the buildings. And there are all these guards who used to work at Alcatraz who have reported that during their years of service at the prison, they heard sounds of cannons going off and people screaming that were so visceral and real that they were sent to the armory to suit up for an oncoming attack. <gasps> Whoa. Mm-hmm. And then they would go outside and there was absolutely nothing or no one. And all the cannons had been removed. So what were the sounds? And it's weird because it's like, okay, maybe you could say that was a residual haunting, but the cannons were only ever fired that one time when mourning Lincoln's death. Oh my gosh. Ooh, I have chills. Mm -hmm. Oh God. So creepy. And another guard told a story of the first few weeks of Alcatraz. He was getting a tour by James Johnston, who was the warden. And in the middle of the tour, They were interrupted by the sounds of a woman screaming and everyone kind of like stopped and was very quiet and no one knew where the sounds were coming from. And eventually it stopped. But again, there were no women in the prison. They had no idea who was screaming. And it's said that every once in a while, people will hear this woman screaming still today, but no one knows what spirit it could be accredited to. That being said, her spirit may have been caught on camera because in 2014, a British couple named Sheila Sillery Walsh and Paul Rice from Birmingham, England, snapped a picture of a ghost while taking a guided audio tour. And she was taking pictures with her iPhone and took a photo of a door. And when she looked back at the picture she had just taken, there was a photograph of a ghost woman. And it looks like she's just staring right at the camera. Now I need to look up this. Yeah, you should. So much. Cell Block C is also said to be haunted by the guards who died during the Battle of Alcatraz and that there are phantom sounds of guns firing and screams. In 1984, the Night Watcher... Oh, sorry. Did you find it? I just it? looked up the woman and it is... <laughs> I feel... I feel dirty for... Have, for Yeah. It's like no one... I don't think I should have seen this. <laughs> it's weird because it's like no one really knows who she is or... or Like that's the one difference I think between... The Charleston jail in this is that this doesn't really have much on record in terms of like what these ghosts are, who they are, and who they were in life. It's very yeah ominous oh and this mysterious. Shit out of me. So there was a man who was a night watcher of Alcatraz Island in 1984, and he was awakened by the sound of a steel door swinging in cell block C. And so he went to go see what was going on, and immediately when he arrived, the sound stopped. But it continued for nights to come, and he could never catch it in action. And eventually he was just like, I need to get to the bottom of this. So he starts telling all of his superiors and all of his other coworkers, and the park system decided to call in a psychic. Her name was Sylvia Brown, and she came with the CBS News team. And Sylvia performed a seance and made contact with a spirit named Butcher Malkowitz, who was a hitman, who was murdered by another inmate in the laundry room. And he claimed to be responsible for the noises in the cell block and was like, but I'm not going to stop. So that's that. Oh, 
And Butcher continues to haunt the island and make noises in the middle of the night. Apparently, he doesn't, he's not very active during the day, but occasionally people will hear the cell doors opening and closing during tours. This is also very cool. So this man named Leon Whitey Thompson, who used to be an inmate at Alcatraz, became an Alcatraz National Park guide. So he has firsthand experience of being an inmate at that prison and now gives tours of his own. I don't know if... He really turned his life around. Right. I don't know if he still gives tours, but he used to give tours and tell his own experience at the prison. And he would always say that he one day was walking around and he saw this man at the end of a hall and he was like, well, no one should be over there. So he starts following the man and he's like calling to him and he turns the corner and the man disappears, is gone. But then he turns back around to go back to where he came from and the man appears in that same hallway and he stares at the man for just a brief second. And he's like so confused and looks at him. And all of a sudden in front of his eyes, the man disappears again. And he was like, I know that man. I know him. And he's like, he looks it up. He finds records of people who've stayed in, who've been in Alcatraz. And sure enough, it was an inmate who he had spent time with in Alcatraz. What? It was another inmate and a fellow friend of his that he met in Alcatraz. So did the guy die? Yeah, who had died years prior. In Alcatraz. Uh, I'm not sure if he died in Alcatraz, but he he did die. And then wow. his ghost was seen at Alcatraz. Yeah. And then in the late 1990s, two people, a psychic, Deanna Smoller, and a psychologist, Larry Montz, combed the buildings of Alcatraz with these advanced electronic equipment And according to them, while they were in the sewing room, psychic Smoller suddenly felt an intense pain in her neck and their equipment began picking up all these readings. And the pair were like swearing that they heard buzzing of sewing machines and they were like so freaked out. They ran out. And then after the fact, they started doing research and they're like, what happened in this room? And they found out that a man named Henry Young killed another man named Rufus McCain in the sewing room in 1942 by stabbing him in the neck. So Smoller, who was in the room in the psychic, had intense pain in her neck and then started Mm -hmm. hearing the sewing machines going. And so she believes that she was picking up that energy. There are many Native American ghosts seen on the island and people claim to hear the sounds of the moaning and pain and whispering. Others claim to see floating blue lights and figures, which could be accredited to any number of spirits on the island. And the lighthouse, which no longer exists on the island, is said to cast phantom lights into the sky and into the waters. So like boats will be out in the water in the bay and they'll see a a light as if it's coming from a lighthouse, but the lighthouse Mm -hmm. no longer exists. And Selbach D, like I said, is the most notoriously haunted space in Alcatraz. It is permanently cold and has been measured to be 20 to 30 degrees colder than any other space in Alcatraz, regardless of what the thermostat has been set to. The block has the holes, isolation cells, and strip cells where prisoners were kept naked in their cell with just a hole in the ground, which served as their toilet. And they were kept there in the dark and fed maybe once a day. Today, guests have felt presences in the cells. They've been pushed, they've been touched, screamed at, and they've experienced bad smells emanating from the cells. But the most terrifying space in Alcatraz is cell 14D. 14D is in cell block D and is one of the holes, the one where the red eyes were seen and the inmate was strangely killed within. There are stories of inmates going into the cell and coming out a completely different person. There's a story of one inmate, Ruth McCain, who was confined within the hole for three whole years and was eventually taken out and put back into general population and immediately stabbed another inmate to death. And he was acquitted on the grounds that the hole had done irreparable damage to his psyche. 
Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. But then, yeah, isolation can make a man go crazy, but there's more to cell 14D. They are the red eyes, which belong to the thing. The thing. The thing wasn't always reported in cell block D, as it seems to have in the past roamed the grounds and took different forms and always had dark eyes that glowed. But now it only takes place or only appears in 14D, which makes you think that like there was so much darkness and enough for it to like absorb in that cell that it just stayed there. No one knows what or who the thing is. Maybe it's the darkness that the natives warned the Spanish of. I don't know, but it's taken a liking to cell block D because of all the pain and dark energy within it. I also wrote that it reminds me of the creeper at Waverly Hills. It's like so, so, so terrifying. After its closing, the island very, very briefly became a Native American-owned property, but then the leader of that tribe's 13-year-old stepdaughter fell down a stairwell and died and was like, I, we never should have come here. This is dangerous. So he left, and then it kind of became abandoned. And in 1972, it became part of the National Park Service sites, and it was open to the public for tours. And then although it hasn't been operational since 1963 as a prison, it remains ultra sinister and perversely fascinating. And you, all of our listeners, can tour it. They have different tour options and ghost tour options as well. And there are so many movies about it. Escape from Alcatraz and Birdman of Alcatraz are apparently the best ones. But I'll go ahead and tell you not to watch The Haunting of Alcatraz, which is a British movie or a movie from the UK that came out this year. It is terrible. And I will save you the pain because I tried to watch it. Just don't. <laughs> don't okay. bother. Okay. But that no, is no. Alcatraz Prison. Oh my goodness. It's just crazy. And it's wild to think that there's so much. I'm sure like when the lights go down at night and when no one's on the island, it's so, so active. But it makes me curious if there's maybe less activity on tours because this was a place that was so secluded and so separate mm -hmm. from the general public that I wonder if the spirits that remain are still somehow blocked by what was instilled in their minds like when they were alive you know right. like you are separate you cannot interact with these people you don't belong in this community like you're entirely different right I don't know I wonder if there's something that kind of like prohibits them or scares them into kind of like keeping quiet compared to what they could be doing interesting like which almost makes me ask the question is it the thing that's doing that or mm -hmm. is the thing like the the um collector and it's like the thing has taken all those souls and that's why it's not as active or is it are there still guards there and there's almost like it's still operating as a prison yeah i kind of think i like the the guard idea almost yeah because the fact that even like when prisoners were there there was enough activity and there was something dark lurking over them in their like true flesh and blood moments. It makes me think that, yeah, there could be, the thing could be still tormenting them today. Yeah. And the guards are a part of Alcatraz. And so their spirits might remain. And it just seems so wild that like the shooting of the cannons and the lighthouse, phantom lighthouse lights are still kind of like proving that there's something still very strong mm -hmm. and remaining on the island but like keeping people at an arm's distance Ugh, it's so eerie i really really want to go yeah i'll go for a dusk tour. <gasps> let's do it i think i also watched the ghost adventures episode zach 
it, it was interesting. I mean, I'm sure they do research about the place before they go in, but they interviewed multiple people who prior to visiting knew nothing of the prison and all of them experienced such dark energy in cell 14 D. And there was like one woman who was just like, I'm not going back there. And he's like, will you come back with me? And she's like, no, I'm not going back there. And then eventually she goes back with, with Zach and the crew. And she's just like, I can't, I can't, I need to go back. And he's like, will you walk inside with me? And she's like, I am not walking inside with you. And I felt so poor. I felt so bad for this woman who's like clearly so terrified of this cell. And eventually they, they're like, okay, fine. Yeah. But Zach went in and they all felt, they all like, you know, how Ghost Adventures does, but they all felt crazy dark things there. But how scary. And to feel peer pressured by the television crew and Zach. I mean, Zach did it to Aaron for years. He'd be like, go. Go into that corner in the basement. Go p- possess yourself. Attack you. <laughs> oh god. gosh! And then this poor woman is like just trying to tell her story, and he's like, "And now I'm bringing you back." And she's like, "No, no!" <laughs> oh gosh, so sad. I did not sign up for this. Oh my gosh, that's so 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 crazy. And then I looked for like listener stories from anyone who had been to Alcatraz, and there are none. So if you've been, please send us stories. I need to know firsthand experiences and prepare yes. myself to go. Oh my God, I almost forgot that we have listeners. We stories. do. This is a long one. This is a long it's one. It's a juicy episode. And so much juice. <laughs> I'm upset that I just said <laughs> I kind of just went with it, but I'm. <laughs> Are you also upset? I'm a little upset for you. Yeah, it doesn't. It didn't sound so great. much juice. <laughs> so much juice. Okay. Okay. I have an email from our listener, Heather. And it's called Creepy and Helpful Ghosts in Charleston, South Carolina. Hello, ghostesses and ghost. Medium time listener. Late to the game, but <laughs> binged most of the back episodes in a few months. Love it. I've always been fascinated by weird things that include hauntings. I live near Charleston, South Carolina, and there are no shortage of ghost tours. So when I'm bored, I usually find myself on one. How God, I cool. love that. Most of the time, I just get cool stories and history, but sometimes I've had pretty strange things happen. I saw Kern's pictures of her trip to Charleston and thought I should share my top two strangest things that have happened on ghost tours. Yes. Number one, the old city jail. (laughs) This jail is creepy without ghosts. It looks like an old castle. Over its time as a jail, it is said that around 14,000 people died there My friend and I took a tour in October, and it was dark. It was nearly Halloween, and our guide was dressed as Lavinia Fisher. Oh my god! Wedding dress and all. It was the perfect setup for a spooky night. Other than being dark and creepy, we didn't have too many experiences during most of the tour other than doors opening and closing on their own and sudden stomach pains that went away as soon as we left a room. Near the end of the tour, we went to a room with boarded up windows. The guide gathered us all in and closed the door. She asked us to turn off any lights that we had, and she turned off her lantern. To keep my phone from lighting up, if I received a notification, I held it left hand over right against my stomach. My friend stood directly to my left, and the room was pitch black. The guide told the story of a guard named Cedric who haunted this area and said that he seemed attracted to medical personnel, likely because he was in need of medical attention after being attacked. She asked if anyone in this room was a medical professional. My friend said she was. Thanks, friend. (laughs) Moments later, the coldest thing I've ever felt brushed the back of my left hand moving towards my friend. I'm talking liquid nitrogen cold. 
I didn't say anything, and the room itself was not cold because the windows were boarded up and 20 people or so were standing in one small room, and that can make it pretty warm very fast. As I'm going through the list of things the cold thing could have been, (laughs) starting and ending with a very chilly bug, my friend (laughs) whispered, my right hand is getting very cold. (gasps) Ah! Then something started poking my left thigh in what could only be described as a heartbeat rhythm. At the same level her right hand would have been at, over and over. It was like there was enough pressure to indent my jeans and skin, but I could tell that there wasn't actually anything there, nothing with substance to it at least. I dropped my hand from my phone to where my leg was being touched. Nothing. Just a reminder that the room was pitch black and I couldn't see anything, so Mm -hmm. I laid my hand flat over the area being poked and felt as the skin indented (gasps) as if an invisible finger was going through my hand to poke my no. thigh. I thought, huh, weird time to get a muscle twitch. Oh my god. But almost immediately realized that I couldn't feel the muscle moving, just the indentation. The feeling itself was almost like a wound when it is pulsing right after you are injured, but without the pain. Then some a-holes lagging behind on the tour decided to open up the door and the entity latered right out of there. Whoa. Nothing else happened on the tour. But later, my friend sent me a picture of the two of us in front of the jail before the tour, and there was something in the window above us. Oh my god. Two glowing eyes. (gasps) I immediately did a hashtag search on Instagram, and none of the other photos I found had the same glowing eyes. I thought, okay, this had to have been streetlights or something. So we went back the next day. There was nothing across the street that could have caused those lights to look like that. Short of someone sitting across the street in one of those houses with two flashlights. (laughs) Because it looked like there was a shadow outline of a head and a shirt collar. But the window was actually inaccessible from the inside. I don't think there was even a floor under where the thing would have been standing to look at us. I don't plan to go back there. Partially because of the creepy glowing eyes. Mostly because I now know what it feels like to have a pulsing leg wound. Second story, USS Yorktown. This is an old aircraft carrier docked permanently in Charleston Harbor. It was first commissioned in World War II, and you can tour it during the day, but there are some parts of the ship that you have to stay out of during normal hours that the ghost tour at night takes you through. I was leaving one of the normally restricted areas when I had my, for lack of a better word, experience. I went alone, but the tour group had probably about 15 people. We went into a roped-off hallway, and the guide... Stopped, told us a story, and we continued in the same direction. As I was the farthest down the hall, he asked me to go through the next barrier (laughs) and take the first door I could on my left. I am extremely directionally challenged and have to make L shapes with my hands to figure (laughs) out left and right. I am the same way. (laughs) Not wanting to do this in front of the tour group (laughs) of people that I didn't know. I went through the barrier, I walked straight, and I came to a door on my right. I looked at it. I stopped, thinking, does he mean the store? And immediately, clear as a bell, I had the thought, no, the ready room. The guide hadn't said anything about a ready room. I'm not unfamiliar with ready rooms, rooms where pilots are briefed before a mission, as my husband is a pilot and I've been in them before, including Hmm. on the Yorktown during a prior visit five months earlier. Now, before you start thinking, oh, that's definitely how she knew what was going on, no, no. This ship is a maze, and I was entering from a location usually roped off to daytime visitors. I didn't even know what part of the ship I was in, so I keep walking. I find a door that angles slightly away from me on my left. I turn, and I walk into 
a ready room. No surprise there. I'm a little weirded out at this point, but sometimes things like this happen to me. So I just brush it off until the guide starts telling the story of Lieutenant Compton Hummel, who also was directionally challenged (laughs) and reported to the wrong ready room for battle, left to find the right one, and was never seen again. What? I went home and I looked up the Yorktown's historic records, and the Lieutenant Compton Hummel is indeed listed as missing, but not from a battle and was not listed as deceased on the records. Just missing. I like to think that he didn't want me to get lost on my way to the ready room. So, lesson learned. If an old Gerald looks that creepy, it really is. And if you are directionally challenged, hopefully there is a ghost nearby who can send you on the right way. (laughs) These aren't the only ghostly things that have happened to me in Charleston, but are by far some of the weirdest. See you on the other side, Heather. I hate to say this, Corinne, because you had an experience with a cold brush on your leg. But what if that is the same thing that Heather experienced? I know. Well, because remember, I said that me and Marissa experienced it. I just am now making that this connection that we experienced it in the room with no windows, which is what she's talking <gasps> oh about. That gosh. same room that's boarded up. And I just I made that wonder if you right have. Now. I wonder if you look at your photos, if you see any eyes. Well, I sure as hell am not going to do that right now. I want to look. Let me get photos. (sighs) Oh, I want to know if Heather has her photo. Heather, send it to us. I know. We need to see it. How creepy. Very, very. But also how cool that she just lives in Charleston and can go on ghost tours when she's bored and has nothing else to do. I love that. I love that. Like a downtime activity. That's just like, yeah, I'm just going to ghost tour. I need to do more of that. Yeah, you should. I, I want to, too. Heather has sparked some inspiration for Love us. Love it. So cool. But how crazy. Yeah. And it's funny that she's got two different experiences from two, like, very well-known Charleston spots. Like, mm-hmm. one is the the cold chill and indentation and obviously kind of, like, unsettling experience in the old city jail. But then the other one is a nice one where she didn't know why she was being given this sort of like instruction and direction I know from this voice that just came into her head and then later realized like oh no he was just helping me out how cool to like look that up and then figure like to know his name and more about him so cool yeah wow okay I have a listener story from Alicia and her subject line is a few ghostly encounters from Australia Hello, excellent podcast. It is my number one weekly must listen. I'm Alicia from New South Wales, Australia, and I have a few experiences I want to share with people who will truly appreciate them. I have always been spiritually interested and open from a young age. My encounters began after we moved to the Hunter Valley region when I was five. I would see shadow figures in my room, often crying out in fear that there were monsters. Then there was the man standing in my doorway, and I didn't feel threatened, but he certainly scared me and I had always believed it was my poppy that had passed away a year before. Fast forward 22 years to Christmas 2018, and I had a discussion with my sister Monique, who revealed that she too saw a man standing in her doorway. I had no idea that we both experienced this in that house. In my early 20s, I went through a horrible period where I lost touch with my spiritual... Quick side note, don't give your time to someone who does not appreciate and nurture you for who you are. Anyway, after I came out from the other side of that period, I began experiencing things again. I used to work in a very isolated bar where it was normal to go all week without a single customer. It was common to often get a feeling that you weren't alone in this building, but on this particular night, I knew I wasn't alone. 
I hadn't seen anyone that night except for security, who checked on me half an hour before closing. Nothing out of the ordinary. But at the end of my shift, I was about to set the alarm and leave when the emergency light above the door began to flicker. That's odd, I thought. Then the atmosphere changed, and I began to hear what sounded like distant and muffled bar-related noises. Although muffled and distant, it sounded like people talking and glasses clinking coming from the other room where the bar was. Scared but curious, I walked around to investigate. And nothing. The atmosphere was back to normal and there wasn't anything to make those types of sounds. And although I didn't feel in danger, I set the alarm, locked the door, and drove away without looking back. My most recent experience was in Halloween of 2017. Again, shared with my sister. It happened when we visited Maitland Jail. Previously a maximum security prison, it was established in the 1840s. We were participating in a ghost hunt and were instructed to go into a cell and record ourselves communicating with any spirits that might be present. The cell we chose made me feel very uncomfortable, and we concluded our session in the cell and went about exploring the rest of the jail. Months later, Monique sent me the recording from the cell. Neither of us had listened to it yet, and it was only now that she felt compelled to listen to it. She asked me what I heard, and I listened to it, and within the first four minutes, there's a voice. Very distinct. I told her I heard a word, but I wasn't exactly sure what it was saying, but it sounded familiar. And her response was, it says Alicia. My blood went cold. That explains why it was familiar. The voice was sharp and quick, not the whispery or drawn-out stereotypical spirit voice. All I can say is that I am glad I was carrying a protection charm that night. Hope you enjoyed my stories. If I find the recording again, I will share it. See you on the other side, Alicia. Okay. Well, that's a terrifying last experience. I know. To have your, like, to be in a kind of creepy situation already in terms of your setting and then to be like, I thought I heard something. And the other person's like, it's calling you. It's calling your name. Saying your name. Yep. Scary. Just a target. No, no, no. I want to know more about that jail and what the history of it is. Yeah. Maybe we'll do jail. another episode. Another jail. Just jails every day. All day jail. So day. wild. Uh, but I love the, the fact that one, that she works at a bar that no one visits. And two, <laughs> that no one visits it in this realm, but that they're like ghosts who seem to like the night that the second they lock up are just partying in it. I know. I know. Just like hearing muffled noises and just things going on, like glass clinking and everybody having a good time and having fun. Yeah. I love it. And her very first experience when she was five was kind of a pleasant one. Like, yeah, it sounded really scary at the time. And I'm sure being a child, you're like, oh my God, there's a monster. Like, who is this man Mm -hmm. in the doorway? But then later to realize, like, it was most likely her grandpa just checking in on her and her sister. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, becomes a little more sweet and loving and comforting of a experience. Right. It's just unsettling to see something in your room standing at your doorway. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> All right. Please email us your ghost stories to two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com. We want them all, every single one. Please send them. Yes, please do. We have a variety of ways to support us. Number one is to rate and review on iTunes and to tell everybody you know about the podcast. That helps keep us in the top two hundred. It mm-hmm. helps us find new listeners. It helps sponsors want to support us more. And you can also Support us by following us on social media like Instagram, joining our Facebook group, which has become just like the most amazing community of support even before quarantine, but especially now everyone's been helping each other out. So that's really amazing as well. And you can support us on Patreon, which brings us to the thank you segment of our podcast. 
We want to say thank you to Eric Foster again for editing our podcast. And we will see you on the other side.